Okay, so we have a, a bunch of questions in the queue, but you are also welcome and encouraged to submit your questions in the chat. First one, Carl swears he can do this quickly. I recently purchased McCallum adjustable blowpipe and after some trial and error, I have noticed that the valve leaks a bit. By the way, I love that, I love the turn of phrase he used here, trial and error, beautiful. So what that suggests is like, he went through a variety of things that he tried and then, you know, uh, he was able to deduce that the valve must be leaking. Now on the McCallum adjustable, is the valve built into the inside of the blowpipe? Okay. No. So if it's not, then you should do, drum roll please, Carl, fill us in. Uh, no, oh, not with the drum the roll, with oh. the answer. With the well, answer. then you do the drum roll. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, we should just get a flapper valve or a moose valve or whatever valve works for you. And take the other valve out. Yeah. Yeah. So like sometimes what happens, especially with the airstreams and the valve isn't quite working right, is people put in another valve, but don't be double valving it. Or maybe do, I don't know. The problem is with two valves, that's double the things that could fail on you. But at the same time, maybe you could have like a it little also back. the risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also <laughs> it mitigates the risk. So anyway, never mind. Uh, I'm, I'm more concerned with this question being over. Yeah, just uh, get that. If you details. have a standard flapper valve, just get it perfectly flat yeah. across the surface and make sure that's there's right. nothing keeping it up. Yeah, so there, there is some adjustment you can do and like you want to achieve perfect flatness. If the valve is pushed down, right, one end will, will pop up and you'll lose a little air through there. But also if it's, you know, either end could be popping up if the, the actual blowpipe isn't positioned correctly and what have you. Um, apparently moose valves are incredible. Uh, I've never played one. It's because we have split stocks and they don't work with split, split stocks. But other than that, they are amazing. They're fabulous. They're like non-restrictive, very simple. Yeah. A uh, rumor has it that a lot of people in field marshal are on the moose valves. Mm. I can neither confirm nor deny that though. Oh, but you know who can? It's Richard Parks, who's going to be teaching at our pipe major symposium next month. That's true. Fantastic. Friends. Make sure you're on the wait list. Wait list is looking pretty spicy. <laughs> um. Does double valving make it too complicated? Yes, Sally. That's where I was going. Let's so make sure there's just one valve. Yes. Uh, but like, but then I was also kind of thinking to myself, like, huh? I wonder if like having two valves, if one of them failed, if like the other one. But see, we're already thinking about things that are not bagpipe fundamentals. So like, that's a perfect example of yes, violating the simple tools rule at least a little bit. Um. All right, this one was totally uninteresting to me until I read it again, and now I'm suddenly interested. Is there a McPhee method of gauging chanter reed strength that involves playing 11 bars of a 6-8 march? Somebody said that in the Discord, and that really piqued my interest. Like, are we not the first ones to have thought of the Scott and the Brave trick? Raleigh says yes. Why are you saying yes? Because you've heard of this or not? Tony, you've heard of this? Wow, fascinating. Where does Same it come no, I was responding to MQM. Oh, well, Raleigh, come on. M MQM thinks he runs this show, but he doesn't, all right? I run this show. All right, Tony, go on. Uh, Tony, what were I, you saying? I ordered some reeds for an older set of pipes, and that was what they asked me to do. He asked me to do was, how far can you get in Scotland the Brave with the reeds that you're playing? And it didn't strike me as unusual. I assumed he'd gotten it from you. 
When did you do this? Well, it'll probably been two years ago, maybe. How far can you get in Scotland the Brave? Interesting. So, like, the, depending on how far you could get might be how he gauged the strength. Yeah, so it's similar, similar, maybe not exactly the same. Okay, thank you, Tony. You are, uh, you are re- relieved of your duties. But, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Um, and then that got me thinking a little bit more. Um, so, anyway, uh, blah, 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 we're talking about this. That is the question, or that is the problem with the inches of water, right? So we've often talked about how, like, it would be cool if reed makers did the inches of water resistance test, right? But that's not really about what, that's not really what makes a reed hard. Well, I was just think- it measures only one of the two variables. What makes a reed hard is the rate at which air passes through it not how much resistance it provides, right? So what makes a reed difficult is how much air passes through it. Now, the inches of water is definitely a correlate to how much air is going to pass through it, but it's not the only thing, right? Like, it's not a definitive thing. It's, it's, uh, it's a correlate, and it's, but it's not causal, right? So reeds could, be, reeds could provide a lot of resistance and let a ton of air through, and then some reeds will provide a lot, of, uh, a lot of resistance and not let a whole bunch of air through, right? And I'm sure you've all seen reeds like that, right? Some reeds have like a little, a little gap between the blades and some are like, have this huge gap. And like, you know, the efficiency of a reed has to do with bang for the buck, right? Mm. It has to do with how much sound you're getting out of it relative to how much air escapes, and so that's a really difficult thing to measure. How do you measure how much air is coming out of a reed? But does everybody understand how what I'm saying makes sense? What makes it hard is how fast you're losing air out of your bagpipe, not the amount of resistance. Making sense? What I'm saying? That's what makes it hard. That's what makes you get dizzy and not be able to sustain it. And there are, there are uh, important ways that we need, there are important things we need to check off before we decide our reed is too hard. Like, is our bag holding air, right? That's number one. What's number two? Are our joints airtight? Are we losing air that way for no good reason? Reed seats, uh, nice and snug with the reeds, you know? And then calibration, making sure the drone reeds aren't taking more air than necessary. But the chanter reed is the same way. And what really makes a chanter reed hard or easy to blow is the rate at which air escapes. Which is why the Scott and the Brave test is so important. It's a measure of... Uh, how you're handling the, uh, the escaped air. It's not really, a, it's, like I said, the, the resistance will be a correlate, but that's not really what we're testing for. And I think that might be sort of like objectively where the inches of water argument kind of breaks down. Mm. Even if you order a read and it comes at the perfect inches of water measurement from the maker, it doesn't mean it's the right strength for you. <laughs> Because there could be a difference in, uh, you know, like the efficiency, how much air is actually leaving. Make sense? Yeah. I just was, I was thinking about that this morning, actually, and I, I just went for it. And what I said makes a lot of sense to me, I think. It's definitely a thing. When you've been through as many reads as I have, you know that's true, right? It's like what makes a read hard is not the amount of resistance. Sometimes you have a read with a lot of resistance but it's actually not that difficult to play and you get a great response out of the read as a result. Well, it's interesting about that, right? Because 
um, we, we're dealing with pressure and volume of air in, in the bag. If it takes less volume, it's easier to get a higher pressure just as you're blowing, right? Because we can supply more air than it needs, which would increase right. the pressure. So I, I, I think there's, there's, there's truth to what you're saying there. Um, Beth says, doesn't body size, lung capacity, other individual factors matter? Yes, amen, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. However, I think you'll find that the resistance is not the issue. Like your, the strength of your diaphragm is not the issue. That's an extremely strong muscle that can handle, what is it? 35 pounds per square inch. Like your diaphragm can handle that. I'm pretty sure, right? And, like, and, this, and whatever other muscles are involved in that. Uh, I could be wrong. This, I'm hypothesizing to be, uh, if I'm being honest. I think the real issue is the volume of air in your lungs and then rate required rate of respiration in order to sustain, you know, what, what the reed is letting out. You have to right. be able to, you have to be able to put more air into the bagpipe. Think about it this way. You have to be able to put more into the bagpipe than is leaving continuously or as much, I suppose you could say it probably worked well. Mathematically, it works out to as, as much right. is what's going to be required. And so like, that's the real issue. Unless your bagpipe's like, leaking, which it shouldn't be. <laughs> but if, if it is, you could still keep it going as long as you're able to supply put in. You have to supply the same amount of air that, that exits. Hard for one guy is easy for another. Amen. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And that, but that has to do with an infinite number of factors. Or, or infinite, maybe not, but many, many, many. Like, how much, how, like, are you in good shape? How much oxygen do you need? You know, how are, the cap how are your capillaries? But then you got diaphragm strength, you've got uh, mouth strength, you've got ability to keep a tight seal on the blowpipe, you know, which varies from player to player. How much you sweat can play into it, right? Because as soon as your lips get wet, that's gonna severely hinder your ability to handle a difficult read. Like, you know, I, you, we can just keep listing possible factors. Dry mouth syndrome, like when you get nervous and your mouth dries out, you know, that's not nothing. I don't know if you've ever tried to play a bagpipe with a super dry mouth. I get it to do that. from blowing raspberries. Yeah, <laughs> I get to do that every normal. I get to do that four times in an, every normal non-COVID year. And then, you know, you set your watch to it like two minutes before you go on for the world. Suddenly your mouth dries out. It's like super <laughs> annoying. That's something you can't really prepare for in practice because you're never going to get that kind of nervous in practice. Um, Jenna has to keep a bottle of water. That's true, but like bottle of water, it only it only works for like 15 seconds, and then your mouth is dry again. Yeah. Tried it. Okay. Uh, next one. Here's something that came through the Discord. What are the advantages versus disadvantages of ridge cut reeds versus straight cut reeds? Does anybody know the correct answer to this question? For beginners and intermediates, there is actually a correct answer. MQM says there isn't any. I'm not sure that's the correct answer. It's similar, it's the same answer you should give when someone asks, what's the time signature of this piece of music? Very good, you guys. We're getting better, slowly getting better. The correct answer here, so advantages versus disadvantages of ridge cut versus straight cut reads is, who cares? That is the answer to the question. When you put it in your chanter, does it sound good? Uh, and if it sounds good, then, you know, play it some more. And if it sounds bad, throw it out. No, you don't have to throw it out. But you could, you know, apply bagpipe fundamentals to the problem 
and, and good critical thinking skills and try and get it to sound good. Um, and it shouldn't matter to a beginner or an intermediate whether the read is ridge cut or straight. You know, so a ridge cut read is, is the kind of read that has that nice ridge on it. That's what a ridge cut read is. And then a straight cut read is uh, the straight one without the ridge. <laughs> uh, I love your definition. <laughs> you defined the thing with, with the words. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. I'm with you. You. Can, you can do better if you want to, but, but like so. And then what's the difference? And, and my response to that question is I've been playing for 30 years and like I've played both types of reads. I don't know what the difference is. Yeah. I'm sure there is one. I'm sure Callum could tell you, you know, because he, he spends hours and hours and hours on a straight cut read, you know, uh, for the solos. And then he's spent lots of time on a ridge cut for bands. And he can probably tell you, you know, so on a very, very sort of advanced level, there probably are differences. I would say that like in my experience, a straight cut read might be less like, uh, or sorry, a straight cut read, yeah, will be less res resistant to uh, pitch fluctuations with fluctuations in blowing, right? So, so it's a little bit less stable pitch-wise, which might be why you don't see it so often in pipe band circles. Meaning like, let's say you have a fluctuation in blowing. A, a straight cut reed will tend to change more in pitch as a result uh, than a ridge cut reed will. Uh, however, with that said, the, uh, the straight cut reed tends to have like poss possibly more, like a more harmonic response than a ridge cut. Uh, and it might also have a larger window of uh, a lot larger sort of like vibration window. But like, can you see how really the answer is who cares? Like stick it in there, play it, see what happens. And then like you can come to your own conclusions over time. Yeah. Uh, you might just find McPhee reads, reads, which happen to be straight cut. You just love them and they sound great for you. Sweet. Believe it or not, I'm advocating to do less analysis in the moment, uh, and we'll worry about analyzing it later. Um, what's better to eat before a workout, a banana or an apple? Answer, in the short run, who cares? In the long run, you know, once I'm a super athlete, maybe there is a difference that matters to me, you know? What's better, a Honda or Toyota? Here comes Tony with the Subaru. Yeah. yeah. Toyota, number one car sold in America last year. Is that true? I thought yeah. Tesla. I thought Tesla passed them. Maybe in one category. Yeah, maybe in the EVs, but uh, no. I mean, they they outsold GM for the first time since like 1930 when GM outsold Ford. There you yeah. go. So uh, so anyway, uh, the real answer though, like for those who need to like operate a daily life and get back and forth to work, like the answer. You know, if you have limited money, should you buy a Toyota or a Honda or something? The answer is like, I don't know, who cares? Just buy one. Uh, now, later on down the road, that could change. Maybe you become like an Uber driver or something. And suddenly the fact that a Honda is like one mile per gallon better than a Toyota and maintenance is 3% cheaper on a Toyota than a Honda, like maybe you're starting to factor these things in. But in the short run, it doesn't matter. There you go. I like this one. Let's do this one. Trouble with memory. Is my brain full? I love that. <laughs> really? That's a great question. <laughs> it's an adorable, adorable question to whoever asked this. Uh, thank you for the adorable question. 
Hello, Andrew. Sorry to bother you. I am reading your book, Finding Bagpipe Freedom. Great choice. No wonder your brain's full. Uh, I have just started reading, but one question arises. I have been learning for about two and a half years. I can play three pieces off by heart. Two and a half years, three pieces off by heart. Okay, let's keep going. I am 71 years old and I don't seem to be able to get further. I think that there's no room in my head for any more. Am I right? Or does it take longer for something to stay in my head? What do we think about this? Let's, let's yeah. break, let's, wait. Who Can I say something, this? Andrew? What? I'm the same age as that guy who wrote the question. I'm 71. And how many and, pieces, how many pieces do you have in your head? Oh gosh, dozens. Okay, good. Well, okay. How many have you learned in the last two and a half years? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I wanted to say is that um, since I've been doing the dojo, my ability to memorize tunes has improved dramatically. Um, yes. Using the various methods in the different classes. So it, his, his brain isn't full because he's 71. His brain is full because he's not doing it right. Ooh. He needs better tools. He that, just thank you. Tools. Thank you. I thought it was. I didn't expect that. You fell on my sword for me. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so yeah, uh, thank you, Beth. That's actually a wonderful testimonial. So for reals, thank you. So um, so let's start. Let's break this down. The first thing that 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 triggered my attention for sure is I've been learning for two and a half years and I can play three pieces off by heart. Is that sustainable? Imagine if you played basketball for two and a half years um, and. And, um, and you could dribble, by the end of two and a half years, you could dribble the ball three times. Yeah, you get pretty bored of those th same three plays yeah. or dribbles or... Yeah. So let's fix that. Let's fix that, okay, for sure. So we, we can do, a, I think we can do a lot better than that. Um, and then the, the next question was, are you right about the fact that you can't fit any more in your head uh, or something, or something... Uh, are they right about that they can't fit anything more in their head? No. Or does it just take longer for them because they're 71? No. Wrong on both, I would say. Right? Which, by the way, that's, that's good news in this case. It's good yeah. news. So, yeah, there's a lot more. What's the, I think the f most important thing is, or like, I've, I've said this for a long time. Maybe even since before the dojo started. But I've always said, if you learn a tune properly, it'll already be memorized. I've always said that. And that was kind of vague, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but then another thing I would just, or another way of saying that maybe, or like another thing to think about would be, uh, you know how like when you stop trying to get a, guys might, you might relate to this and then gals, it might be the other way around. But you know how when you stop trying to get a girlfriend, within like three weeks you have a girlfriend? You guys ever remember that? Like back in the high school days? Yeah. Yeah? It's a thing, right? Like if you stop, sometimes if, if all you focus on is memorization, it's very difficult. But if you forget about memorization and just focus on all of the right things you can do in order to improve at bagpiping, suddenly you will find memorization, if, you, if it requires any effort at all, it, it doesn't require a whole lot. Memorization is a natural byproduct of doing things the right way. Now, so this person is 71 years old. Let me ask this 71-year-old person. Let's go through the dojo method real quick. How many hours of bag, uh, bagpipe music have you listened to uh, in the last seven days? 
Like, or for the last seven days, have you had a, a two hours of bagpipe music on in the background uh, every single day for the last seven days? What about the last 30 days, right? So are you doing that right? You know, uh, what does that do? Like, how does that have anything to do with memorization? Well, it turns out uh, almost all bagpipe tunes follow like really simple patterns over and over and over and over again. And uh, we could talk about the patterns, but it would be even better to have those patterns like actually honestly ingrained into our subconscious. That's gonna help us memorize tunes, right? Like it, it helps that I've listened to 10 billion bagpipe tunes. That really helps me memorize, I think, I'm assuming. The only way for you to prove me wrong would be for you to learn 10 billion and tell me, or to, for you to listen to 10 billion and then honestly tell me you don't think it helped. So let's do that. Uh, and how are we gonna do that? Just immerse yourself every day in bagpipe music, right? Next question is like, uh, have you been playing every single day? Or are you the type of person that's in the bad habit of doing massive action only occasionally? If you do massive action only occasionally, this is like commandment number two, by the way, commandment of the week, mm -hmm. unofficially at the dojo, right? So like, if you're one of those types of people, how do you think that's gonna serve your memorization skills? And on and on and on. One of the things we talked about this week in my classes is that when we're clapping the rhythm of the tunes, we absolutely don't want you to sing the tune at the same time. And why was that, right? And the reason for that was, if we can avoid that, you can start to learn that the rhythm of all six, eight marches is like disturbingly exactly the same, right? Boring, That's almost. Right. Yeah. So now you're getting good at rhythm. Now you're becoming so good at rhythm that you honestly, it's on autopilot. You don't even have to try. And the same could go for a wide variety of other skills. Right? So suddenly, before you know it, we haven't really focused on memorization specifically at all, but before you know it, we're already 89% of the way there just by learning a tune properly, yeah. right? And how do you get the rest of the 11%? Well, you could just play the tune a whole lot more, still not thinking about memorization. Uh, or maybe if you're on a time crunch, yeah, you could do some memorization stuff, basic memorization exercises, you know, like play one line of a tune and then uh, looking at the music and then try and play it again, not looking, and then look, and then don't look. Like you could do that memorization type of exercise if you want to, but make sure you're doing that to get the 11% the of the way there. And then what Beth said, this is why we do this. We have a new unfamiliar piece of music every single week. The more tunes you play, the faster and easy all aspects of learning the tune is gonna be. Sight reading, memorization. Yeah. Technique, what else? I don't know what else there is. Speed, right? Length of time that it takes you. Mm -hmm. It all goes down if you're doing it right. And then uh, at age 71, I think you have probably the same amount of room in your brain as anyone else. Uh, but you probably have, you know, um, you probably have a lot more distractions in there than a young kid would have, right? That's the hard bit. Yeah. That's the hard, hard to bit. focus. Yep. It's way harder to focus the older you get. I or think that's my, that's my very yeah. loose, very loose generic hypothesis. So that's why it seems like young people learn so fast um, is you know, I think that they're able to fully focus and become obsessed and um, you know, and they do those things. By the way, they do the right things 
a lot better than grownups on average. And the right things being like, oh, like they're, they're going to immerse themselves naturally. They, they're not going to have to like work at that. They're not gonna. Ha- they're not gonna be like. Wait a minute. I can't. I, I'm. Tr- I'm struggling to get two hours in because I have to put food on the table for my family. Like at least me when I was a kid, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just like, whoa. I gotta listen to that Michael Gray tune again. That was sweet. Andrew, come to dinner. It's like, <laughs> hang on, mom. Hang on. I'm working on a hornpipe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we digress. That, that's the big idea. Uh, uh, develop your general musical preparedness. And forget about memorization. And you'll be surprised at how much more you've memorized. So my prediction is if you do the dojo method, uh, you, you're going to learn, and what do you know, two and a half tunes by now? So like, I bet you you'll double or triple your output of what you're able to memorize in the next year uh, than you were able to do in the first three years. Yeah. Prediction. And then you'll be able to do a whole bunch of other stuff as well. You just might not have it memorized yet. And that's okay. How many of the tunes of the week get fully memorized? Um, you know, like to 100%, probably never. Tom <laughs> finds that pain cuts through your focus. Yes, exactly. Exactly my point. So if you're literally in pain, uh, then it's going to be hard to like do all the fun, super uh, relaxed things that you should do. That's why you should play a hard read, right? Oh, for sure. Got to make, well, if you want to be a real bagpiper. Right. Yeah, you got to put exactly. the hard read, in, hard read in there. Don't forget that. That's just one little exception to the rule. Uh, no, actually, I was just formulating a thought, which is like, if anything in bagpiping seems to be really hard for you, that should send off alarm bells that, that should mean, oh, I must not be approaching this the right way. Yeah. If there's anything in your piping that seems hard, it's, it might be. It's, it's possible. But most likely, it means you're approaching this the wrong way. You know what I mean? Same yeah. thing goes like, you know, in the, in the sort of CrossFit sphere, right? Like when there's a, there are movements that I'm really struggling with, the, the chances are I'm not. Chances are I'm not, think, I'm not approaching it the right way. Maybe I just need to back up a few steps and build up to it the right way. And before you know it, you'll be able to do it. You know, uh, if you've seen 10 million people like yourself pull it off, you know it's possible. So you got you, you have to figure out how that's going to work. Okay. And I just add there, if there's anyone out there who's feeling really frustrated after having tried to do something for a long time and failed, um, that's what we're here for. You know, reach out. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you, we'll, we'll spot you on a couple of lifts and, you know, tell you what you're doing wrong. Yeah, and you might not, the, the thing is, the reason, you, the reason you're hesitant to reach out is because deep down you already know. That it's an immersion. The, it's the immersion huge, that's killing you. Well, <laughs> well, no, you already know that huge amounts of effort have already been wasted. And it can be hard to hear that, mm. right? But that's a thing, you know, so if you're ever, if you're ever getting to the point where the frustration is starting to boil over, like, you know, that's just a basic principle of life, I think. You know, if, if you're struggling with someone that seems easy to others, uh, then you're probably not looking at it the right way. Uh, and, and to continue to just try and force the issue, I can almost guarantee you it's probably, even if you got to the point where you could do it, right? So even if you did memorize Abercarney Highlanders, does that make you better as a piper or worse? If you force your way through it and you spend... 
10,000 hours and you get that Abercanary Highlander memorized. It's like, well, that might not make you better. As a matter of fact, it, I think it's possible that it could make you worse. Yeah. Burn out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Stephanie Burns memorizing new tunes book. But you think the dojo work has helped me more gradually. Interesting. I haven't read the book. But if there are, you shouldn't need any strategies for memorizing tunes. If you find that you need strategies, uh, I, I think you need to just reevaluate your process. Right? Uh, I've never, when I've been doing it the right way, because there have been times where I've needed to, or felt I needed to do it the wrong way, like I gotta have a tune memorized by like tomorrow and I haven't even started yet, and then I'm in trouble, and then I have to use my strategies. But like, I've never struggled to memorize a tune in my whole life, mm. right? So uh, you shouldn't either. You know what I'm saying? You shouldn't need strategies. Think about it this way. What's more important, a strategy that's gonna help you memorize a tune faster? That's option A, or more work on the important fundamentals of good, solid music making. What's more important? Would you rather learn a tune fast or learn to be a better overall musician? Answer the question. Hit yes. me in the chat. I'd rather become a better overall musician. That pays off in the long run. Uh, here's, a, here's a related question. Would you, would you rather I give you $10 today or $1 that compounds 10% per day? Right? What would you rather have? The answer should be obvious, right? Like, or I mean, maybe not. Maybe the answer is not obvious. But once you've thought about it for even just a little while, you realize, wait a minute, 10% per day means that by tomorrow I'm going to have $11. By the next day, I'm going to have more than $12, you know, and like within 30 days, I'm going to be like a millionaire or something. Like the math is insane how it works. Uh, with compounding interest. And the same, the same is true about music, right? Instead of working on strate strategies to memorize a tune, we'll get you a tune that you can play by memory, right? But focusing on the right process and good fundamentals will get you a thousand tunes that you can play by memory in a surprisingly short period of time if you commit to that idea, right? And if you actually do the process. How, how long would it take you? So Murdo, this week's tune of the week, all four parts. How long would it take you to memorize that ready for a performance? Hit me in the chat. Give me an estimate. I know what my estimate is. I'll tell you after you tell me yours. <laughs> Hit me in the chat. How long would it take you? Four parts by memory, ready for performance. In front, in front of a knowledgeable piping audience. No one? Two weeks? How long before you'd feel comfortable? One week. One month, says Jay. It would take longer because you don't like it. Ten days. Ten days seems pretty good. Raleigh says two weeks. Anybody else? I think my answer would be worst case scenario, 30 minutes. I already know this tune. I've known it for years and years and years. But it could be any tune. Any four-parted tune of standard construction... You know what I mean? Like any, any tune that's kind of normal and doesn't have a million twists and turns, a uh, half hour worst case for a four-parted tune. But that's also assuming you've almost 
certainly already heard it. What? The tune. No, you don't. You could write. You can compose a new one. That's fine. I'm good okay. with 30 minutes. Yeah, but but see, you still know all the patterns in it because well, you've listened to everything and you've played everything, so you know it, it's right. You are Carl. That's it. I mean, how long would I'm, it take you? How long would it take you? That's that. Uh, how long? Well, would it take I mean, you? I already have three parts of it, and there's just some questions in the fourth part, but that's like two bars, so 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Wait, you're faster than me? Well, no, because I've already been working on it. Oh, okay. What's the total? But what's your total time? Yeah, like I mean, my point is, it's an hour, maybe. Uh, yeah, not that long. You could do that it. long. And the and the thing is, by the way, for the record, I would never do that unless it were an emergency. By the way, right. I would never learn and tune in thirty minutes and go, try and go perform it, throwing it out there. It uh, would probably end in a couple of mistakes. You'd know. You'd know you made them. Nah. But. I'd still cry. I would still crush. I would still crush the competition, you guys. Well, and you know, my point is, do you think Stuart Little is much different? Do you think it would take him much longer than half an hour? No. Maybe he's even faster than me, although it'd probably be pretty close, uh, you know, because once you get to that short of a period of time, you know, like, whatever. You think Jack Lee's much different? Like, one of the ways they can play 12 P-Rocks you know, or they can submit 12 P-Rocks to a competition and play any one of them to an incredible standard. Like one of the reasons that that's the case, you know, or one of the reasons that's possible is like the exact same thing we're talking about. You know, the, the process is so efficient and that's what we need to do. It's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like those big investors, like your Ray Dalio's and what's the other guy, the guy from Iowa or whatever, those big investor guys. They make way, 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 way. What, you see how many ways I'm doing? Way, 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 way more money in one day than I make in a year. Way, 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 way more money. But how is that possible? Is it because they're trying really hard? No, as a matter of fact, those guys are probably like pretty chill. I don't think they do a lot in a day. They don't really have to because it's all compounding. Once you have 18 quadrillion dollars, it's not that hard to make another quadrillion. It's true though. So Raleigh, I'm, it's funny, but it's true. It's also, it also happens to be, I think, more or less true. Yeah. I'm not sure, it might be a, a quabillion, maybe not a quadrillion, like I'm not quite sure on the number of zeros, but the concept is the same. And how does that happen? I'm really interested in how that happens. Um, and then uh, if you can understand how it happens, that can really you know, pay off as well musically. Can't hear the metronome over the pipes. Um, I think we solved this. Get out there, buy an amp, unequivocally. <laughs> I think the reason I think the reason I wanted to bring it up is why is it so important that we can hear the metronome over the pipes? Right, makes it it's easier like, to play. <laughs> yeah, it's like a variety of reasons. Number one is anybody here ever experienced the phenomenon when they transfer things that used to sound good on the practice chanter, they fall apart on the pipes, right? So. You're not going to know that about your rhythm unless you have that metronome there as that tool to help you gauge whether or not you're still on the beat, right? So it's very likely that you do good work on the practice chanter and then when you get on the pipes, you start rushing the beat again. Why is that? Well, pipes are adding in a whole bunch of other variables and taking up bandwidth uh, from your brain. So like, it's quite possible that fundamental is going to fall apart on you once you introduce it to the full pipes. How are you going to know if you can't hear the metronome? See what I mean? So you have to have a way of amplifying it. Now, 
when you're practicing by yourself, you could just wear headphones. That's the best, super quick way to do it. Put a metronome, uh, put metronome into your headphones and then wear headphones as you play. Done. But then the problem becomes when you're recording yourself, like there are technological ways something like that could still kind of work and you could make headphones work. But really at the end of the day, just get an amp, nice big speaker of some kind that will play the metronome real loud. That'll allow you to record yourself for later analysis. Okay, and it would also allow you to, uh, it, would also, it would allow someone else to analyze it for you. That's why it's so, uh, so important. It's not really optional, and it's also something you should just invest in and make it happen. You'll, you'll only have to buy one amp in your lifetime, hopefully. Amps, amps are pretty basic, uh, and if not, you know, get the warranty uh, or whatever. Now there's, you know, an amp, a good enough amp is gonna cost you between 100 and 200 bucks probably if you got it new. Uh, there's lots of used options. The best used option I know of is we should all know six or 7,000 failed guitar players, right? <laughs> so locate, locate one of them and ask them if- practice channer. <laughs> ask them, can I g give you, can I borrow your amp, right? And then they'll say yes. And then once they haven't even thought about the amp for six months and just be like, hey, like, do you need that amp back? And they're gonna be like, oh yeah, I forgot I lent you that amp. And then be like, here, how about I give you 40 bucks and we just call it square. And there you go, you just got yourself six months of free use of an amp and, and then you bought it for 40 bucks. It's like rent to own, but better. It's fantastic. Uh, let me even throw in the guitar, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, but you, you see what I'm saying? So there are che good cheap ways to get amps. Amps are everywhere. Yeah. Um, you could even call up your local school and since they're never gonna allow music again in schools, uh, maybe they'll have some amps they can sell you. All right, but that, I just wanted to review why it's important and why we care. We do wanna get that metronome uh, nice and loud and juicy so that we can practice those skills while we're on the pipes. Mm -hmm. All right, this one's from Jan. Is Jan here today? She is, okay. So uh, this is, uh, let's, let's go through this That means one. you gotta be nice. <laughs> well, I'm always nice. Not true, not true. Uh, uh, sometimes, I'm, sometimes I'm even nicer than nice. Uh, okay, my instructor has me working on learning to tune by ear. So that triggered me right away. There is no other way to tune, right? So, so tuning by ear, that is what tuning is. So we're gonna use our ear. We're actually gonna use two things. Ears plus, or, or multiplied by, noggin. Ears plus logic, that's all you need, right? So like uh, two minus one equals one, you know, like if you can do that basic type of logic and deduction, uh, plus you have ears. Everybody here have ears? That's good, that means we have the equipment we need to tune. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this, that's all you need, okay? Uh, he has COVID right now, I hope that he gets better. Uh, best of luck. So I hate to bother him. Uh, I start the pipes with drones corked and use Korg to see where the reed is playing. What's Korg? Let's translate that. That's a digital tuner and we're seeing where the reed is playing, okay? I then uncork one drone and try to tune it to the chanter by ear. That's good, 
I like that a lot. Then I cork the chanter and see how the drone is sounding according to Korg. So we've turned the chanter off and now we're testing the drone with the Korg. Anybody seeing any, uh, any problems popping up already in this explanation? So now we've turned the chanter off. Now the Korg is, we're, we're holding it up against the drone, right? So is that, is that this move, right? We sort of get that arm. It's hard to do, isn't it? Then you repeat it with the other two drones one at a time. I'm keeping track of how it all compares with each drone sound and the chanter sound each time I try the tuning. I'm having a terrible time getting the chanter read to play when everything is corked or when two drones are corked. What does that mean? I'm having a terrible time getting the chanter read to play. Does that mean the chanter read's too hard? Is that where you're going with that or something? Uh, and then the chanter read either does not start, okay, here we go, sorry. The chanter read either does not start, squeals, or with slightly lessened pressure, shuts off. With everything uncorked, the read is fine. Maybe it's too easy. Mm. Maybe you're overdoing it. That's all, all possible. I've tried different reads and finally found one that is harder than I normally play, but I can't, I'm assuming it means I can't finagle it to work. As far as I can tell, the drones are fairly well calibrated. We'll check again today. Any ideas? I have so many ideas. Uh, but the first idea is this whole process has got to go. Okay, the whole process has got to go. Here's what we need to do. 13 steps of bagpipe sound-ish, right? The same basic thing. So start with excellent bagpipe maintenance. By the way, make sure this, the read passes the Scott and the Brave test. So, so important for tuning, right? So make sure the read passes the Scott and the Brave test so you have the right strength read for you. Uh, four steps of bagpipe maintenance. From there. Yeah, including calibration. Double check. I know you said they were okay, but there's maybe reason to doubt. So double right. check. Right, calibration. And then from there, what do we do? Well, before we do a whole lot, like, you know, uh, before we do a whole lot, we have to make sure that, uh, you know, the pipes are operating the way that we want to, right? So the, the problem with this, like one of the many problems with this is that with this method is we're not really sure the bagpipe is actually working right before we, we are like corking things off and doing a whole bunch of experiments, right? So be careful with that. What do we do in the transitioning to the pipes course, Carl? We don't even introduce the chanter for a while. Right, So we get steady with a drone first, one drone. Yeah, so let's get steady with one drone on the manometer. Steadiness is so important. You're not gonna be able to tune anything without steadiness. So like, let's get steady with just one drone on the manometer, making sure it's steady now. One, then eventually, pretty soon, we can add in that second drone. And here's what I want you to do. You do not need a digital tuner. I want you to just experiment with the second drone, bringing the drone in and out of tune with the first drone. So you have two drones going, and we're just going to experiment bringing the drones in and out of tune. And start uh, if, with two tenors. Yeah, two tenors is great. Yeah. Learn, learn to listen for those beats. Learn to hear that. Learn to listen what it's like when the two drones uh, actually do match and the beating goes away. And it's, it's almost like this quiet sound. All this is laid out in the transitioning to the pipes course, by the way. That, it's, the, it's the exact method that we need to follow. Now, that's going to take a little bit of practice, but focus on that. Right, um, and then, by the way, I think in the transition into the pipes course, we do some strike-ins and some cutoffs, and we haven't even introduced the chanter yet, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, eventually, we're gonna introduce the chanter with just one drone, uh, and we're gonna learn about the blow trick, and that's what we need to do. You could do 
20 blow tricks in the time it would take your digital tuner to help you determine whether or not two things were in tune with each other, right? And uh, every blow trick that you do, you get slightly better and better at the hearing and the logic required for bagpipe tuning. As soon as you bring those tuners in and you try to get the tuner to help you, all you're doing is slowing yourself down from yeah. getting to the point that you need to go. Like, you know, so let me ask you this. Find the time for, by like five, by pulling the time, the tuner out. What, do you, what would you prefer? A digital tuner that could help you sort of be able to tune uh, in an hour? Or uh, 10 hours being definitively excellent at tuning? Which one would you pick? So a quick, uh, like the tuner can quickly get you sort of not atrocious sounding or you can sound truly excellent with 10 hours of practice. Which do you pick? I would pick the 10 hours. And I think that's the right answer. Um, and then, yeah, the, the tuner thing, man, it really, there's so many reasons it doesn't work, which we're out of time to discuss. Yeah. A large part of the problem is I need to tune for uh, 478 for band. Not, it's not a big part of the problem, okay? So get yourself perfectly, immaculately in tune. All right, and then here's one application where the tuners could actually be useful. So you've gotten yourself perfectly, wonderfully, immaculately in tune. Now you can just look over real quick, check the low A with the tuner and see what number you're at. Now, if, you're, if you happen to be at 480, what does that mean? It means you're a little bit sharp relative to the rest of the band. If you're at 476, it means you're a little bit flat. Now, from there, we can do things to remedy that problem. By the way, if you're within a couple of cycles, just leave it. Most bands never be able to tell a difference. Uh, but, uh, um, but, uh, and there's a million different variables that could affect the, fit, the, the, fitch, the pitch of your pipes too, right? right? But that would be one application where I would use a digital tuner because I do that, right? So I know, I know the Inverary recording that I got, right? The band sounds like, you know, I can use my digital tuner to figure out what pitch they're at roughly. Sounds good. And then I can use that to just check during my own practice that I'm in the ballpark. That sounds reasonable, but I'm not using the tuner to help me tune. No, no, <laughs> that would be a bad idea. Even and the if, fancy tuners. And here's the other thing I'd do. If you found out that you were slightly sharp or flat, leave it, go the next day, check the next day. Don't make big corrections based yeah. on outliers or possible outliers, right? Try to get that, um, that average going, figure out what are outliers and what is the sort of common general pitch there, the average pitch, and adjust to that. Right? And then that's way easier. It's like calibration. Don't fix everything in one day. They're not going to work the next day. Uh, you know, fix it over a period of days. Yeah, or, or at least don't expect it to be perfect the next day. Right. So you can get your calibration perfect on Monday, but if you made a bunch of changes, you're gonna find Tuesday, it still needs a little, a couple more tweaks. And then yeah, by Wednesday or Thursday, you're probably to the point where if you play synthetic reads, you're not gonna to have to change them again for a while, like not really. Yeah. Always willing to change them if you have to, but you're gonna find you don't have to. Anyway, I digress. So get that digital tuner into that fish tank and fill it up, all right? No, no, no. You can keep the, there are, and here's the, uh, the most common objection to the digital tuner. I hear it all the time. Well, when you hot shots in grade one bands stop using them, then I'll stop using them. <laughs> okay, let me, let me tell you. Grade one bands do not use digital tuners. Not a single successful one. It does not happen. 
ever. Except, except for one application, which has nothing to do with tuning, right? The ability to tune. It only has to do with logistics. So the one application uh, Pipecores will use it for is to, is to uh, more efficiently tune the drones of the group. But if you think those grade one drone tuners are going around using the tuner to tune the drones, you're mistaken. It's yeah. just a check to help them more quickly zero that drone in, but they're still using ears and logic the whole time. It's still 95% ears and logic, right? And that is a super advanced application. For beginners and intermediates, uh, tuners don't help. And here's a challenge, beginners and intermediates, pipe band challenge, pipe bands of any level, throw out your digital tuners for a year. Mm. Don't allow digital tuners into the pipe band hall ever and watch how much better your band gets at getting in tune. It will blow your mind. It'll be a little rough the first couple days and then you'll start to figure things out. Like, wait a minute. We don't need a tuner to make sure all the drones are sounding at the same pitch. You know, there's ways to innovate it. By the way, Strathclyde Police, like one of the best pipe band tones of all time, they didn't use digital tuners. Even when the digital tuner era began and started to take hold, the Strathclyde Police still got the best sound without it. Yeah. Uh, so Jan says, I'm getting a handle on it slowly. One surefire way to speed it up is to commit to simple tools, okay? So it's still not gonna be, it's still not gonna be warp speed, but it'll go much faster once you commit, right? It's like, it's like your diet. You can lose weight a lot faster once you make commitments. Like, I'm simply not gonna allow myself any added sugar anymore. I'm just gonna say no. Seriously, right? It's not like, ooh, can I have, I just, ooh, I gotta have that little cupcake at the end of the day to reward myself because I had good eating habits the rest of the day. If you just say no to sugar, that'll be able to compound, right? Because in, in maybe in a month, you'll be able to say no to other things like, I don't know, whatever. Or I'm just gonna write down everything I put in my mouth. That would be a good one, right? Mm. Just write it down, start there. Make a simple commitment. Uh, to, to a simple tool or process. Uh, and that's, that will help you quite a bit. <clears throat> all right, that's it. That's all we got time for. I mean, I would love to talk more. I love the sound of my voice in the, in the microphone. It's like, ooh. And especially now, it's all warmed up. I'd love to talk more, but, but that's it. Beth's is, no, really, Beth, really. I do, I love it. Uh. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening. <laughs>